Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary. Uh, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So when he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could, he not, uh, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man 
kept this man from dying. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There we go. I think I have unmuted myself. Um, well, let me let me add my welcome to Peter's. It's lovely to it's lovely to see all your faces after a week of having seen no one. Um, it is great to just see some familiar and smiling faces. I'm going to pray briefly, and then we will get into God's word together. Father, I pray that you would do in our hearts now what only you can do, that by your Spirit you would comfort. You would encourage, you would strengthen, you would fortify us for the days ahead. Father, I pray that as we uh, in these days perhaps are more mindful than we usually are of our frailty, of our limitations, of our weakness, that we would learn to come to you every day like the, like the Israelites in the desert did, to seek manna for today, to seek grace for today. Father, would, um, would you by your spirit now uh, plant your word in our hearts for today, to your glory. Amen. Amen. Well, I have a, a good collection of Bibles. I'm sure many of you do as well. Several different translations and a, a number of versions of each. Uh, and I looked through all of them yesterday to see what title, what heading they put over this passage in John's Gospel. My Bible says, sorry, I'm being interrupted. My Bible says the raising of Lazarus. Uh, others that I have say the death and resurrection of Lazarus or Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead uh, or something along those lines. And I imagine your Bible probably says something similar. Well, here's a question for you. Uh, you heard the reading and this is probably a familiar story to many of us. I wonder what title you would give this passage. If you were the publisher, Responsible, responsible for putting a heading over this section, what heading would you give? Well, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. If you're sitting with somebody now, perhaps just turn to one another and have a quick go. What title would you give this story? 10 seconds, have a go. Well, I, I'd love to hear what you came up with, and uh, maybe after after the service or in home groups this coming week, uh, when we gather gather online, that is, uh, you can share with one another what uh, what you proposed. But now let me ask another question that might cause you to rethink your title. To whom in the story does Jesus give life? To whom does Jesus give life? Now rethink your heading with that question in mind. 
Well, friends, much of the world around us is in fear and panic today. People we know, our, our family, our friends, our neighbors, our colleagues have gone into defense mode. People feel under threat and so have retreated into defense. Uh, that's what all this panic buying of toilet paper is about. Dr. Stephen Taylor is professor of psychiatry at the University of British Columbia and author of the book, The Psychology of Pandemics. And he says, toilet paper is a safety of symbol, uh, a symbol of safety, my apologies, <laughs> a symbol of safety, a, a psychological safety net. And so under threat, feeling the need to protect themselves and their families, people stockpile toilet paper. I was surprised to read that, but uh, that's what he says. And I've no doubt he's right. People are grabbing for psychological safety nets, for symbols of safety, under threat of illness, under threat even of death, and the threat is real. The death is coming to many, and, uh, and perhaps even to some dear to us. People are grabbing for the basics needed to sustain physical life. Toilet paper, rice, pasta, tinned foods, to keep body and soul together. And that instinct to defend life is good and right. Stockpiling is not the way to achieve it, but the, the desire to live and to defend life is right. But what if life isn't just keeping body and soul together? What if life is more than that? What if true life is a kind of life that once given to you cannot be taken from you? What if you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, are already more than conquerors over death? What if nothing, not the devil himself, nor all the demons of hell, not coronavirus or cancer, not age or infirmity, what if nothing could take from you the life you have been given by God in Christ? Well, would we then share in the fears of our neighbors? Would we grab at symbolic safety nets? Or would we, with the peace and joy of victory over death, girding up our souls, point our neighbors to Christ and to life in him? There are two things I believe the Lord wants to say to us right now. First, dear Christian, you have been given life. Now live. Second, dear Christian, share it. Tell them, your family, your friends, your enemies, your neighbors, your colleagues, show them life and tell them where to find it. Well, that's what I believe the Lord is saying to you, to us right now. But it's not enough for me to just say it like that. You need to hear the Lord's voice for yourself through his word. So let's turn now to the scriptures. And as we do so, keep this question in mind. To whom in this passage does Jesus give life? Well, uh, you may say to me, Marco, all your studying and your degrees haven't helped you very much if you don't know the answer to that one. Clearly, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. What are you on about? Well, yes, he does. He does raise Lazarus. Jesus does have the power to raise the dead. And I don't think that's the main thing John wants us to see here. I wonder if you noticed a really puzzling thing that Jesus said as the passage was read for us. Did you notice verse 40? Look in your Bibles. 
verse 40, then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? If you believe, if you believe, you will see. What's he talking about? What is he talking about? He knows, Jesus knows he's come to raise Lazarus. If you look from verse 11, speaking to his disciples, Jesus says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll get better. Well, they'd misunderstood, so Jesus corrects them. Verse 14, Lazarus is dead. I hope you see that. That's really important. Lazarus was dead. Jesus knew Lazarus was dead. And Jesus plainly says, I'm going to raise him. But now, verse 40, he says, if you believe, if you believe, you will see. Well, what's going on? Has Jesus changed his mind? Is the raising of Lazarus now contingent on Martha and Mary's faith? Certainly not. Is the Lord capricious? Does he change his mind from moment to moment? Is the Lord Jesus so cruel as to toy with the hearts of his friends whom he loves? As John tells us in verse 5 that he does. Does Jesus toy with their hearts by putting responsibility for their brother's life on their fledgling faith? Well, that's not the Jesus I know. And in any case, the text won't allow it. If you look at verse 39, take the stone away, open the tomb, Jesus says. But Lord, says Martha, there'll be a bad smell. He's been in there four days already. You see, Martha clearly did not believe that Jesus was about, sorry, that Lazarus was about to rise from the dead and walk out of the tomb. But Jesus did raise him in spite of Martha's unbelief. Verse 43, Lazarus come out, and the man who was dead came out. The raising of Lazarus had nothing to do with Martha or Mary's faith that Jesus would raise him. Four days earlier, Jesus had told his disciples, Lazarus is dead, I'm going to raise him. And when he got to Bethany, all the weeping and the mourning continued. Nobody had any expectation of Jesus raising Lazarus from the grave. But verse 40, if you believe, you will see. What's going on? What did he mean? Well, notice carefully what he said. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. Not if you believe you will see a miracle. Not if you believe you will see the dead raised to life. No. If you believe, you will see the glory of God. If you believe, you will see in Jesus, God. He is, Jesus is, says the writer to the Hebrews, the radiance of the glory of God. In other words, in Jesus, in what Jesus says, in what Jesus does, in what Jesus feels in this account, in who he is, we see God. Now think of that. Just let that sink in. What is God like? Why doesn't God make himself known? How can we know who God is? Look at Jesus and see God. Now, more could be said, but I'm going to highlight 
five things I believe the Lord would have us see about who he is today. First, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Verse 25. Jesus is speaking to Martha. Her, brother's, her brother has been four days dead and in the grave. And remember, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus. So when Martha says in verse 21, Jesus, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. We might have expected Jesus to say something like, don't worry, Martha, I have the power of resurrection. I have the ability to give life to people. I mean, that would have been an astounding thing to say, especially to a sister mourning the death of her brother. But it's not what Jesus said. Jesus goes further. I am the resurrection. I am the life. Not I am a representative of God. Not I have been given the ability and authority to do something about life and death. No, I am the resurrection and the life. Because of who I am, I am life itself. Who is Jesus? He is the Son of God. He is, in fact, God. In Jesus, we encounter God face to face. God who holds in his almighty hands life itself came to the tomb of his beloved friend. Second, look at verse 32, and you'll see that Mary says exactly the same thing. Jesus, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And again, Jesus responds in a surprising way. Just as he had said something surprising when Martha said that same thing in verse 21, now this time he does something surprising when Mary says it. That is, he says nothing. Now again, remember, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus. He could have said, any one of us might have said, don't worry, Mary, don't cry. It's all going to be okay. Just give me five minutes and I'm going to raise Lazarus back to life. But Jesus says nothing to Mary. No words of truth to comfort. Instead, verse 33, Jesus saw Mary's weeping and he was deeply moved in spirit. And verse 35, Jesus wept. Why? Why did Jesus weep? He knew what he was about to do. Why was he weeping? Well, remember what had happened. Jesus' friend, Lazarus, had fallen ill, seriously ill, so ill that his two sisters, Martha and Mary, saw death coming. And they'd sent word to Jesus, please come. Jesus, please, Lazarus is dying. Please help. Come and heal him as you've healed others. Well, they lived in the village of Bethany near Jerusalem, and Jesus at this time was a hundred miles away to the northeast above the Sea of Galilee. Four days journey. That's four days for the message to get to Jesus. And then verse 6, when he got the message, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Then verse 7, 
after this, after two more days, he said to his disciples, let's go to Bethany, to Lazarus. So that's four days for the message to get to Jesus. Two more days that Jesus waits. And four days journey back to Bethany. That's ten days. Ten days Martha and Mary waited. Is he coming? Has the messenger found him? Why is he taking so long? He should have been here by now. And no doubt they sat by their brother's bed and tended him as best they could, trying to ease his suffering as they waited and hoped that Jesus would come and do something. But on the sixth day, Jesus had not come and life slipped away. Death took their brother. And in keeping with Jewish laws, Martha and Mary prepared his body that very day for burial. They cleaned and bound him, laid him in the tomb and sealed it. Death had taken their brother and they mourned. They mourned. They wept. They mourned his suffering. They mourned his death. And they mourned their own impotence, their helplessness to save him. And so when Mary says, Jesus, if only you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus hears in her words all the pain, the pain of the days of seeing death approach. The pain of her feeling of helplessness to save the brother she loved. And her pain at not understanding why Jesus had not come sooner. And for all her pain for the pain of her loss, for the pain of her helplessness in the battle against the relentless advance of death, and perhaps most of all, for her pain in the unanswered question, doesn't Jesus love my brother? Doesn't he love me? Why doesn't he do something? For all Mary's pain, Jesus weeps. What is God like, dear brothers and sisters? God weeps over your pain in this broken world. Third, Jesus, who is the resurrection, who is life, who is God, who weeps over your pain, comes to the rescue. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved, came to the tomb. Now, all English translations struggle with verse 38. They say Jesus was deeply moved or groaning within himself or something along those lines. Those are far too weak. Actually, in this case, I think the Italians have got it right, which is, says me, Marco Antonio Uliana, entirely unsurprising. In Italian, it says Jesus... Fremendo in Jesus, trembling in himself, came to the tomb. It even, it even sounds right in Italian. Fremendo in I mean, when you need a hero, you want him to arrive on the scene. Fremendo in Italians obviously make the best heroes. Have you ever seen an adult male African lion 
deal with an intruder to his pride. Uh, I have. A, a coalition of six younger males moved in on the pride of a dominant male. Uh, what they do is they gang up on the single dominant male to take him out, to, to kill him. And then they kill all his cubs uh, to bring the females of the pride back into heat so that they can breed. And in this way, they take over the pride. So they moved in, the six of them, edging closer to the alpha male as he was eating. But they miscalculated. They hadn't reckoned with the size and the power of the alpha. And one of them got too close too quickly, separated from the other five by just too much. And the alpha in three or four strides was on him. With one strike to the neck, he flattened the young challenger. And with his massive jaws, he bit into the middle of his spine and literally snapped this adolescent lion in half, paralyzed it, completely limp. And then he tossed it aside and uh, I, I imagine it would have died in a few hours. And then he just stood there, fremendo incestes, or trembling in himself, almost 500 pounds of rippling muscle, trembling with pent up power. And the other five young challengers now saw clearly who they had foolishly challenged. And they quickly made other plans for the rest of the afternoon and went on their way. That's what's going on in verse 38. Death has challenged his kingdom. And now comes Jesus, the great lion of the tribe of Judah, feeling the pain of his beloved, trembling with all the power of resurrection life itself. And with a word, he breaks the spine of death. Lazarus, come out. This Christian is your savior. Fourth, look at verses five and six. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. And then only two days later, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. I wonder if the word so at the beginning of verse six troubles you. Someone you love is seriously ill, approaching death. So you do nothing. You wait. You don't visit. Knowing that you could help, you don't rush to help. Why? Well, it's not because he doesn't care. Right here, John tells us that Jesus loved this family. And it's clear from how he responds when he's with them that he loves them. No, the, the delay was not for lack of care. Jesus loved them. So the delay, the wait, somehow was an expression of love. Because he loved them, Jesus delayed. In fact, Jesus didn't even really need to go to Bethany at all. He could have healed Lazarus from 100 miles away, as he did for the Roman centurion servant, uh, Luke chapter 7. Jesus could have made it all better and spared all the pain with a word. But because he loved them, he didn't. Why not? Well, he answers that question himself in verse 4. 
this illness will not end finally, ultimately, in death. No, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In Jesus' mind and heart, his disciples, seeing his glory, is more important even than natural, physical life. Seeing him, seeing who he is, seeing with the eyes of your heart, with the eyes of faith, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And the greatest thing his love can do for you is not to protect your physical life. It is to open the eyes of your heart to see him. Jesus, Son of God, the resurrection and the life. Jesus, God in flesh, the almighty, the beloved, only begotten Son of the Father, who from eternity past to the endless ages of forever upholds all life and creation from his very being. This Jesus weeps over your pain and comes to your rescue, trembling with salvation power. The great lion who goes to the cross and on it breaks death forever. And if you believe, you will see him. And that brings us to the fifth thing, which is that this seeing him is life. In chapter 17 of John's gospel, in verse 3, Jesus says, This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is life, to know him. Yes, Jesus raised Lazarus. And in chapter 12, John gives us a most beautiful, brief glimpse into eternity. Martha hosts a a dinner in Jesus' honor. And where do we see Lazarus? Verse 2, reclining at the table with him. Raised from the grave, Lazarus, who had died, with the painful question in his heart, unanswered, why hasn't Jesus come to save me? Now reclining, at rest, at fellowship, with his friend who saved him. And we don't see Lazarus again in John's Gospel. That's the picture of Lazarus John wants to leave unchanged in our minds. A picture of what awaits each one of us who believe. Yes, Jesus restored Lazarus's earthly life. But that was only a means to the much greater end that he showed in his person the glory of God. He showed to Lazarus, to Martha, to Mary, who he is, who God is. This is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So I'll ask the question again. To whom in this passage does Jesus give life? What heading will you give the passage? But ultimately, John wrote this not just to recount to us how Jesus gave Lazarus and Martha and Mary life, He wrote it so that you would believe. And believing, you would see and know and love him. 
and seeing and knowing and loving him is life. Dear Christian, you have eternal life. What have you to fear? Now, finally, the second thing I believe the Lord is saying to you, to us right now, share it, tell it, point others to Jesus so that they will likewise see. One day we might do a preaching series on Mary Magdalene and John's Gospel. Do you know she only appears in four scenes in John's Gospel and all of them death scenes? First, here in the account of Lazarus. Then in chapter 12, she anoints Jesus' feet with expensive perfume, preparing him for his death. Then in chapter 19, we see her standing at the cross with John and with Mary, Jesus' mother, as Jesus gave his life. And finally, in chapter 20, at the tomb of Jesus. How beautifully John has arranged his gospel. Mary, who is given life when we first meet her here in chapter 11, is the first to see the risen Lord Jesus. In chapter 20, Mary goes early to the tomb and finds it open and empty. She runs back to town to fetch Peter and John. They come to inspect and confirm Mary's testimony. The tomb is empty. But then they. Peter and John go back to their homes, verse 10 of chapter 20, but not Mary. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the empty tomb. So great, so deep was her love, her devotion to Jesus. She was jealous even for the care of his dead body. And then verse 15, Jesus comes to her and says, why are you weeping? Jesus, who had said nothing as Mary wept at her brother's tomb, but had wept with her, wept for all her pain, now beside his own empty tomb, speaks to her sorrow. Mary, why are you weeping? And so Mary Magdalene becomes the first to see Jesus risen and to hear from his lips, Words that say to all of us who believe, why are you weeping? The time for weeping is no more. Death is forever broken. And more than that, Mary becomes the first Christian gospel preacher. Go to my brothers, Jesus commissions her, verse 17. Go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. So Mary went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all he had said to her. And now my friends, our Lord says the same to you, to me. Every one of you who has believed and seen the glory of God, to every one of you who has seen him, <laughs> go and tell, go and tell your family your friends, your enemies, your neighbors, your colleagues. There is a kind of life that once given to you by God can never be taken from you. Not by coronavirus, not by death, no matter how it comes. This kind of death is forever broken by the great lion. And to know 
and to love him is to have now right now and forever eternal life won't you bow your hearts with me as i pray father would you do in our hearts what only you can do by your spirit would you open our minds our hearts our souls to see who jesus is he is your beloved son he is god this is who comes to our salvation this is our hero who loved us who weeps for our pain who came to our rescue who broke forever the spine of death who assures us of our eternal fellowship at the table with himself and who sends us now to tell others the good news be at work in and through us father in the days to come to your glory in jesus name amen